Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. That is the message that we're trying to establish. We started out talking about what it means to set our foundation on the rock that is Jesus Christ. And that is to dig deep, that's to lay that foundation, that's to hear and do what he says. And we want to do what he says so that we build our house the way that God intends to build it, uh, for us to build it. And he doesn't, isn't necessarily talking about a literal house, but our household or our family. And we are refocusing on the family. You know, occasionally we have to go to the eye doctor, don't we? We go to the eye doctor because our vision gets a little blurry and we can't really see all that well. And as you're sitting there looking at the different numbers and letters and shapes and different things that he's trying to, he or she is trying to get us to see, we'll go through a series of different uh, lenses to help us and a, he or she will say one or two one or two and you go through this process of refocusing until we get zeroed in until we can read that bottom line or as close to that bottom line as possible and as I get older that bottom line is getting harder and harder to see no matter what my eye doctor does but it's about refocusing and then when we get the glasses and contacts or contacts we think Man, I can see. That is the idea here of what we are trying to do with the family. You may have studied family, probably have. You've looked at these verses and these passages and your responsibilities. You've heard these things preached. But every once in a while, we need to refocus because we get a little bit out of focus because our eyes get a little bad sometimes and we need some corrective lenses. And that's what this is about, is about refocusing on the family and letting the Lord build the house as it, as it should be. Wednesday evening, I know that seems like an eternity ago, but Wednesday evening we talked about the relationship between Christ and the church and letting that, allowing that to be the standard by which all marriages should be. We talked about how Jesus is the head and the savior of the wife in that he is a servant leader. That's the type of leader that he is. That he loved the church and gave himself for it so that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle. He elevates his wife, that being the church. And he left his father so that he could be one with the church. And we are to leave father and mother so that we could become one as well. And then the church responsibility to Jesus as head is to be subject to him and to reverence him and to leave father and mother from the world of sin and become one with Jesus. And so that's the picture that I want to remind us of as we go into. I know I said the other night that we were going to talk about the wives this evening, but I didn't get a chance to talk to the husbands last night since we had to cancel. And so I'm just fast-forwarding or moving it a little bit. We've done a little shift, and we're going to talk to the husbands tonight. We'll talk about the wives tomorrow evening. Uh, so... Stick around for that as well. But I want to look at this in a very different way, perhaps, and like for you to turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11. We're going to look at a man who is described by another man with an illustration, and we're going to use that illustration to understand the type of relationship, the type of responsibility that a man has towards his wife. And to kind of set up the story and where we are, this is when David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. 
and she was with child, and that is where we pick up the story, because Uriah, the Hittite, was the husband of Bathsheba. And so he, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11, beginning in verse number 6, says, And David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did, and how the people did, and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah slept at the door at the, of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down into his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down unto thine house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark in Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open field. Shall I then go into mine house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As thou livest and as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. So we learn a little bit about the character here about Uriah, which we're going to get into in just a moment. But David had committed the sin with Bathsheba, and so he says, call for Uriah that he may come from the battle, and he wants him to go be with his wife so that David can cover the sin that he had committed. And Uriah didn't go. So David said, why didn't you go? And Uriah gives him the reason. And so David then tries to make other provisions so that he would go home, and he still didn't go home. And so he sent him back to battle with a note that basically said, when you're in the heat of battle, put Uriah right there in the heat of the battle, committing murder against Uriah so that Uriah would be killed again to cover the sin that he committed. But David's not our focus this evening. Our focus is going to be on Uriah. So as he covers this up, he's successful in doing so until Nathan the prophet comes along and he's going to talk to David. And he's going to use an illustration to prove to David that he shouldn't have done what he did. And then we begin that in chapter 12, beginning there in verse number 1. There it says, And the Lord sent David unto da or Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing, save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom, and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared the take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was coming to him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. So he describes this relationship uh, that this man had. He was a poor man. He only had one precious little ewe lamb. Well, the other man had plenty. And when the one man that had plenty took the one that had only one, uh, David got mad. He said, we need to deal with this. And that's how Nathan was able to say, thou art the man. You are the one that I'm talking about. And so at that point, David realized that he was figured out and found out. But I want to talk about Uriah here this evening. I know a lot of times we focus on David in this story. But let's look at Uriah and talk about the responsibility of the husband towards his one little ewe lamb. We read about him, first of all, in verse 11. Uriah said unto David, The ark in Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Jacob and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open field. Shall I then go into mine house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife as thou livest, and as thy soul liveth? I will not do this thing. First thing we need to understand about Uriah, this is without the illustration, he was a man of conviction 
a man of principle, a man who put God first. He talked about the ark. He talked. He was the type of person that would, in our day today, he put the people first. He would have put the nations first, or he did there. And so today, he would put the church first. He was the type of person that took the individuals, the members of that body, and put them first, as he talked about the men there. So we have all of these types of things that he was willing and wanting to put those things before he put his relationship with his wife. And that's something that all men need to understand. Your first priority to your wife is to love God and his church. Luke 14 and verse 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Your first priority is to Christ. Remember, we have already talked about the fact that Christ is one with his body, his church. And if he is one with his body, his church, then that also means as an extension of who he is as the head, we ought also to put the church first. That's our priority. And if you're going to lead your family, you've got to lead with Christ in, as the, in the driver's seat. That's the only way it's going to work. We saw that breakdown with David. We did not see that breakdown with Uriah. So that's number one is that we ought to, uh, we need to serve Christ and his church first. And then he goes on to the illustration. I want to point out, he's talking about a ewe lamb, and he's using that as a parallel to the wife. And some of these things we're going to look at, and you wouldn't go, hey, that's about the wife. This is about a ewe lamb. Okay, so as he's describing this, I don't want us to get misunderstood I don't want to be misunderstood to think that our wife is a literal you lamb okay so I'm just <laughs> putting that out there but he does talk about the man who had plenty of sheep and now the one only has one little you lamb David had plenty of wives he had lots of wives even in the passage he says I would have given you more wives you didn't need to go take Uriah's. That's the point that he's making. But Uriah was better off than David. He was doing it more right than David. The standard for the New Testament for marriage should be elders. That's the kind of man we want in leadership of any church. Therefore, we would understand him to be the type of person that we all ought to aspire to be, those quali qualities that are mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, we ought to do those things and try to emulate those things, particularly as it comes to the family and how we treat our spouses and our wife. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2, it says, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. You know that phrase, husband of wife, literally in the Greek, it's a one-woman man. That's the standard. Uriah had one little Eulia. He was a one-woman man. And our standard today, men, you should be a one-woman man. That means you don't look at the menu. You don't look elsewhere. You don't look for something better. That's not how it works. It means no flirting. 
That's over. You're done with that. Quit flirting with other women. It means no emotional connections other than your wife. You know the intimate emotional connections. You know what I'm talking about. That's what that means. You are a one-woman man. She should be your one and only. Period. And she needs to know it. You need to show it to her that she is your one and only. Number two, we see in the illustration that is given here, again, it's an illustration. You don't go buy your wife. But in this case, he bought a little ewe lamb. So what is the parallel? What is something that we can learn from this is that he had bought her. You know, it takes a little bit of a sacrifice to buy anything, doesn't it? We have to get our wallet out and we have to shell out a little bit of money. Perhaps it's literal money or perhaps it's the money that's in the bank. It doesn't matter. In some way, you have to sacrifice to some degree. Again, we're going to go back to being a servant leader, that we have to give a little. Maybe in some cases, we're going to have to give a lot. It's about being that type of servant and having a servant's heart and a, having a servant attitude about us so that we do those things <coughs> for our wife. In Genesis, the second chapter in verse 18 says, And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found and help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Could you imagine all these animals that are being paraded past Adam so that he could select a companion that would be helpful to him? And as each one comes by, he says, snake, no. Mouse, nah. Cow, mm -mm, no, got to move on. He names all of them, and then as they all pass by, he's turning it down and saying, that's not sufficient. That's not going to work for me. But in order to create the woman, there was a sacrifice on the, on the man's part, wasn't there? He was put to sleep, a rib was taken from his side, and given to the woman. That's servant leadership. Now, I know God did that. But I also want you to notice that the, that rib, whatever God could have used, he didn't use something from the head. He also didn't use something from the feet. He used something from the side. See? You're the head of your wife. Yes, that's the case. But so is Jesus, the head of the church, and he's the servant leader. He gave his life a ransom for many. That is the type of leadership that God calls us men to be for our wife. And we see that in Uriah in that he bought the sheep. He made some sacrifice. He was a servant leader to that one little ewe lamb. We also see about him that he nourished this little ewe lamb. In other words, he provided for this one little ewe lamb. In 1 Timothy 
chapter 5 of verse 8, and I know this is talking about widows, but this would be true about any member of the family. He says, but if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith, and it's worse than an infidel. I've done a little research and a little study on this matter. I'm not a woman, as you know, so I can't dive into the mind of a woman and to know for sure whether or not this case, but I do know uh, from the studies that others have done and who have talked to women, a woman desires security. She needs to know that you are going to go out and you're going to provide for her. If you don't believe me, just start asking the women. She needs that. She needs that stability in you. She needs to see a work ethic in you. She needs to see that you're going to go out and make sure that she's taken care of. They may, some may say that that's not what they want, but that's what they need, and that's what they want. That doesn't mean that they might not go out and get a job. That's certainly not, not what I mean by that. But she needs to know that you're going to have the initiative, and you're going to do whatever it takes for the benefit of your family. And in this case, that's certainly what he did. He nourished up this little ewe lamb. On top of that, it grew up together with him. So the difference in the rich man and his sheep is I'm sure he set them out in the field and let them do their thing. Whereas this one little ewe lamb was like more like a pet than he was livestock. Of course, the wife is not a pet. It's still the illustration. But it grew up together with him. This is about uh, more than just growing up together with him. I want you to notice Second or First Peter chapter three and verse seven. Likewise, ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. The first part of this: dwell with them according to knowledge. Understand your wife. Know your wife. Know what her needs are. Seek to know her. Remember when you were dating? We couldn't soak it up enough, could we? We wanted to know their favorite color. We wanted to know what their, their visions were about the future, all kinds of things. We wanted to know everything we possibly could about this girl that could potentially become our wife. Don't stop doing that. <laughs> Keep that dating spirit alive and that you're trying to understand her and know her so that you can seek to be the servant leader that you need to be. See, this is about quality time and spending that quality time together so that you can get to know her and understand her. Dwell with them according to knowledge or understanding of who she is and what she is about so that you can do whatever it takes to meet her needs and to be the type of companion that you also need to be to her because that's what it, it is about is being that type of companion with her. You got to listen to her. That means at times that we're going to have to sacrifice a little bit of our time that we may be wanting to watch football or do whatever else it is. Maybe we want to go play golf or go fishing. In my case, I like to go fishing. Every once in a while, I have to not go fishing and sit and talk to my wife. That's just the way it has to be. I've got to get to know her. And instead of going fishing sometimes, I probably need to go to the thrift store or to go do the antique, how to get that antiquing type stuff, because I know that's what she likes to do. I need to spend time with her doing that. That's what she is wanting for, wanting from me. 
That may not be your case. You may not like fishing. She may not like antiquing. doesn't matter. Figure that out for yourself, who, what, what it is that she likes. Understand her and know her. That's what it's all about. This little Ulam also grew up with his children. I, again, it's an illustration. Of course, I hope your wife is growing up with your children. That's not the point. Okay? But the fact that this one little Ulam, this pet, also grew up with his children is he gave her a place of honor. And we need to give our wives a place of honor. Proverbs 31 and verse 28 says, Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Is the virtuous woman virtuous because she is virtuous or because her husband helped her to become virtuous? Yes. Maybe your wife isn't as virtuous as you want her to be. Arise up, call her blessed, and praise her. You will get nowhere, mark my words, you will get nowhere if you run her down in public. Nowhere. Do not run her down. Praise her. She deserves your praise. You may not think she does. She may, she's going to drive you crazy sometimes. Yes, she's going to make mistakes. So do you. I know you do. You praise her. Lift her up. Honor her. That's what... It, the idea of he gave her a place at the table to eat and to live together with her, his children. And so he gave it a place of honor. Again, about the eating. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup. His own food he was willing to share. His own... There's a guy I know, had a little dog in the house. And the, the first time we went to eat dinner with him, I was a little surprised. He took a bite, and he took a little bite again, but instead of lifting it up to his mouth, he reached down and he let that dog eat off the fork. Lisa's going to get really grossed out here in just a minute, because then he'd take another bite and he'd actually put it in his mouth. <laughs> that's the picture that I get from this. Is that, that's exactly what this guy was doing with this little ewe lamb. He ate of his own food and drank out of his own cup. In Ephesians 5, verse 28, saw men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no, one, no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. This is more than just about eating and drinking. It's about sharing, sharing life with this person. We need to share our lives with our spouse. You may come home from a long day at work, and she says, how was your day? Tell her how your day was, because she wants to know. She wants you to share. And then turn around and say, how was your day? Because she wants to share and tell you how her day was. You've got to share life together. You don't cohabitate. You don't just live in the same house and you do your thing and she does her thing. No, it's more than that. You've got to share your lives together. Then we see that he 
or this little ewe lamb lay in his bosom. There was a oneness, a togetherness, a companionship that they shared. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 14, Yet ye say, Wherefore, because the Lord hath been witness between thee and thy wife, the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. And did not he make one, yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away, for one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit, that ye deal not treacherously. You made a covenant with your wife. You made a vow with your wife, which means you made promises to have and to hold from this day forward, to cherish and to love and to nourish and to take care of and to protect and all those things that go along with in sickness and health and richer or poorer, all those things you remember that we're supposed to, to do, that we promised that we would do. Don't break your covenant. Do not break that vow. Don't break the oneness because God put you together as one. That's what he says, have I not made you one? Don't destroy that oneness and deal with her treacherously. Submit to the oneness and don't deal with her as a way that would run her down or in a way that would mistreat her, that would disregard how she feels or how she thinks. Dwell with her according to the knowledge and understanding and don't run that down. Understand who she is and build her up. <coughs> and the more you treat her like a part of you, the more oneness that you'll have and the more your marriage will be, will be blessed. God hates putting away. You know what that means? God hates for you to break your vow, to break the covenant. Don't do it because you've been made one. Then he says, again, the illustration is that the ewe lamb was like a daughter to him. Again, we have this place of honor that was given to him, given to this uh, one little ewe lamb. He says, likewise, ye husbands dwell them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together, the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, we focused before on dwell with them according to knowledge, but now we need to give honor to the wife. We need to give honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessel. I'm going to try to use some illustrations here that hopefully will hit anyone, any man in the crowd. And I don't know if this is going to work, but I'm going to try what if you had a mint condition Mickey Mantle rookie card? How would you treat that? Some of you are going, who's Mickey Mantle? That's okay. I'm going to try to help you out, okay? What if you had an action comic book edition one in mint condition? That's the Superman where he's holding up the, the car. What would you do with that? You say, I'm not familiar with that comic. That's okay. I got another one for you but I'm going to have to look it up. I'm going to have to look at my notes because I'm not as familiar with this one. It's not my area. A 1990 Nintendo 
World Championships Gold Edition video game. It's worth a lot of money. All these things are worth a lot of money. What would you do with these things if they were in mint condition in their box? You know what you would do? You would seal them up. You would make sure that they were put somewhere where they could be honored. You would make sure that they couldn't be torn up, that nothing would happen to them. That's exactly the type of honor that you are to put on your wife. She's not a weaker vessel in that sense. He's not talking about that. He's talking about something that ought to be honored like a weaker vessel, like a vase that would be precious. But I figured I'd use manly things so that we, honestly, I don't care about vases, okay? So I, that illustration doesn't quite work for me, except I understand the principle behind it, the Mickey Mantle card and the action comic and the Nintendo game. I get that. Or if you had a football or basketball that was signed by your favorite player, you know what you'd do with that? You'd put it in a place of honor for one thing, and then you'd make sure that it was protected because it's that valuable. Treat your wives that way because they are, or she is, that valuable. Also, as one who is an heir together of the grace of life. In other words, treat her like she's a sister in the church. Because she is. I hope she is. If she's not, work with her and help her to be a, an heir of together of the grace of life. Because our first priority, again, as we go back to the very beginning, our first priority is Christ and his church, right? So we also want that for our wives. And we need to honor her as a weaker vessel, but also because she is a sister in Christ. And then the last thing we see about the illustration that Nathan uses, he says, And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd, to dress for the wayfaring man that was coming to him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. Bathsheba made a mistake. She sure did. Now, I don't know what the motive was behind that mistake. Maybe she was thinking, this is the king, I can't turn him down. I don't know. But she still made a mistake. And I'm pretty sure Uriah wasn't aware of that mistake. David did a pretty good job of covering that up. But the kind of relationship that we see through what Nathan has described here I think if, Nate, if Uriah found out and she said, I'm sorry, I'm coming home, I think he would have forgiven her. I don't know that for sure. This is conjecture. This is my opinion. But our wives are going to make mistakes. They're not always going to do what we think they ought to do. But their responsibility is not our responsibility to fix. You know what I'm saying? Let me read it this way. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. It doesn't say if your wife submits. That's not in there. It just simply tells the husband it's your responsibility to love her anyway. Even when she makes the mistakes. Even when she doesn't submit. Even when she's not subject to you, you love her anyway. Because that is the burden that you bear. And let me tell you something. You will not change that about her. You can't change anything about anybody else. The only person you can focus on about anything is you. So do your job. And don't worry about whether or not she's doing her job or not. You just love her. And remember this. 
Remember in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus says, or John there says, we love him because he first loved us. We do our job, the rest of it follows. The burden of responsibility is placed on the man to love his wife. So in closing, the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb. That's exactly how you ought to look at your wife. She's your one and only. That she is the most precious thing to you on earth. Put Christ first. Put his church first. Love her. That one precious little ewe lamb. That is our responsibility, husbands. So treat her as if she is the only thing of value that you have. Your one precious you, Lamb, your gift from God. He had all the animals pass by. None of those were sufficient. God said, here you go, and gave him woman. Your wives are a gift from God. Treat them that way. We love him because he first loved us. We love him because he gave himself on the cross, even though we don't deserve that. All so that we can be united with him and be at one with him. If you're not one with him this evening, won't you go through the wedding ceremony and be baptized with him so that you can, be, you can make your vow to him that you will keep your promises and do his commands. And he will be your husband. He will protect you. He will cherish you. He will nourish you. He will present you to himself a glorious person won't you be baptized this evening or if for some reason you have neglected your duties whether husband wife father child doesn't matter whatever you feel is not right in your life and you need to be refocused on any type of matter it could be what we talked about could be something different doesn't matter anyone who hates or it, we need to hate our father mother children our own life also in order to love christ that much more